Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. What's going on, Love Tribe? Welcome to I Do Podcast, where we interview the world's leading relationship, marriage, dating, and self-help experts. 
If you're single, dating, married, or struggling in a relationship, you're in the right place. We are here to help give you the tools to succeed. On today's show, we welcome Dr. Rick Hansen, and Rick is a psychologist, senior fellow of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, and New York Times bestselling author. Rick has been invited to be in spoken at Oxford, Stanford, Harvard, and many other major universities. Rick has so much knowledge and information when it comes to meditation, empathy, neuroscience, and relationships. And we could have just talked to him about so many different things and he had so much valuable information. We tried to zero in on a few things in today's episode. One of them uh, being empathy and how we evolved over millions of years to be empathetic creatures and how that affects us in our relationships and why we act certain ways and how to sort of bring that knowledge and tools into a relationship to be aware of how we got to where we are and then move forward in a relationship in an empathetic manner. And we also talk about technology, how it affects this and where Rick kind of sees it going in the future. And then finally, we finish up with some important tenets of Buddhism that Rick has written a few major best-selling books on and how these tenants can help in a relationship. So hope you guys enjoy that. Definitely pay attention to all the great advice that Rick has to give today. And we will be playing you out with the hip abduction. The song is Awake from their album Gold Under the Glow. So stay tuned until after the interview to hear that full song. As always, we really appreciate you guys listening to the show and supporting us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show on Amazon. The link is in our show notes and on our website. Everything you buy, when you click on that link, we get a small percentage from Amazon. Helps us in putting on the show. We appreciate that. I know we use Amazon like crazy kind of to buy everything we need besides stuff that's at the store around the block. But uh, So click on that link. We definitely appreciate that. You can also support us on audibletrial.com forward slash I do podcast. You can go to audibletrial.com and get a free 30-day trial in a free audiobook download. You can check out our podcast for a lot of great recommendations uh, that our guests offer, uh, one of them being The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Use that as your free download. Listen to it while you work out, in the car, whatever it is, walking the dog, get valuable relationship advice. And then lastly, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash I do podcast. Support the show for as little as $2 a month. We really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Hi, Rick. Thanks for joining us on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here, Sarah. We've given our listeners just a little information about your work, so why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself, and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Wow, that's great. Well, um, probably like you, I find being of help, being of use, 
to be deeply fulfilling and rewarding makes me happy. Um, and I'm really pleased to be a longtime therapist and uh, also someone who offers content online, you know, in, in situations kind of outside of the uh, therapist's office. And it's deeply rewarding, uh, kind of big picture, stepping back. I look at the planet altogether, seven plus billion people, and uh, just think there's a lot of suffering out there. And a lot of it's unnecessary, really unnecessary. So there are different levels of intervention, obviously. We can intervene at the level of society altogether, government, healthcare systems, and so forth. And then you can kind of bring it down uh, eventually to the level of the individual. That's my own focus. What can people do inside their own minds? What resources, what strengths can they grow there to help themselves uh, be happier, heal from old pain, and also be more effective and um, functional in their relationships? So the thought that over time people can be increasingly equipped with a toolkit of resources they can use to um, have more love and happiness in their relationships makes me happy. I love that. I love that description. And this podcast does not reach 7 billion people, unfortunately, but we got to start somewhere. And, And that's what we love is having people like yourself on the show so that we can pass on this great information. And I've been on your website. I've looked at your books. You have so much valuable stuff. We could talk for days. I kind of want to zero in and talk about your work in neuroplasticity and in particular empathy and how that we can bring that into relationships. Let's just kind of start off with um, from one of your papers that I read, The, the Brain and Lust and Love. And yeah. you give an explanation of kind of the evolution of our brain and why we evolved to sort of have empathy and seek love and, and these things. So maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, the evolution and we can bring that into how it affects modern relationships. Yeah. I, I like, I think many people find that it's really, really, really helpful to look at human beings in the context of life, of being, you know, biologically based creatures. We're animals, uh, very unusual animals, uh, but animals nonetheless. And uh, how we are is uh, the result of evolutionary processes that are, uh, whose results are in us today. And quick sidebar, uh, I don't think that understanding the uh, evolution of, of life necessarily takes away from any kind of, you know, uh, sense of the divine, sense of the transcendental altogether. To me, they're just at different levels of reality, you know, altogether. And um, so, you know, inside that context, then, the truth is that uh, life's been on this planet for about three and a half billion years. Uh, multicellular creatures arose about 650 million years ago. And the nervous system began developing about 600 million years ago. And then taking it forward, mammals like us, warm-blooded, they bore their babies live. Um, my wife and I have two kids, and, you know, I've, I watched it happen, right? It was real. Um, and um, we, so we're mammals. Mammals coming in around 200 million years ago. Mammals are very relational. And then primates arose around 40 million years ago. They are very, very relational. And then uh, tool manufacturing hominids appeared around two and a half million years ago, living in small bands. 
and cooperating with each other to live to see the sunrise and keep their babies alive and keep their babies' babies alive. And then now two and a half million years later, starting around 200 million years ago, modern humans arose. So you can just see how long that weird journey has been. And down that long road, there's what's called the social brain theory that points out that um, arguably the primary driver of human evolution or the evolution of our ancestors over the last several million years were the benefits of love, broadly defined, cooperating with us and frankly becoming more skillful at being aggressive with them, uh, them being other tribes, other bands competing for scarce resources. So it's baked into us, to finish up here, it's really baked into us to be empathic, cooperative, uh, communicative, altruistic, loving, um, generous, kind, to seek justice, to um, punish freeloaders, uh, even at the cost, uh, to, at some cost to oneself. That's deep in our nature. And uh, so when you see, uh, you know, lovers quarreling, or you see high school kids getting ready for a dance, or you see someone holding the hand of a loved one, you know, in their last days or hours uh, or minutes, you're seeing the effects of uh, lots and lots of history uh, in us as human beings. And when we get into concrete details here, you know, I'll be drawing on that history because it's really practical. It's practical to, to appreciate how much we've evolved to love and how much the ways that we love um, and also quarrel and fight with each other have been really shaped by our evolutionary history. Yeah, it's also fascinating to really step back and take that perspective to understand it's taken millions of years billions of years to get to where we are today and that can give you such a a great gratitude and perspective and then also at the same time it's like we've had all this time why do we still have problems in relating oh yeah <laughs> and uh so so let's dive in and let's talk about the maybe the first thing that comes to mind in in uh the benefits of the way we evolved to have empathy well empathy um First of all, it's not agreement. It's not approval. It's not itself compassion. It's simply, in effect, uh, resonating over here with what's happening over there, or in effect, simulating over here inside our own mind something of the other person's experience. And what's useful to know, so empathy is um, really useful in business because, you know, to understand other people, what their drives are, what their needs are, what their upset is about. Empathy is extremely useful in couples. I'm a longtime couples counselor. I've been also married a long time, and I've seen a lot of couples. And it's so interesting that, and poignant, frankly, and sad, that uh, the uh, empathy, the sense of he really listened to me or I felt she really understood me, whether it's a same gender couple or, you know, a heterosexual couple, same process. Uh, we feel, you know, we're drawn to those who we feel receive us, right? And yet it's sad and poignant that so often empathy is a casualty in a long-term relationship, um, even when there's not hostility or quarreling, but just people are busy or they're living in separate worlds or kids come along and they're fried, they're exhausted, or they're, you know, sucked into their own roles and they kind of lose touch with the, with the mind, the inner world of, of their partner. 
And so therefore it becomes really helpful to focus on empathy as a target in the relationship or a target in oneself and think in terms of how to grow it. And that's where a little neuropsychology is useful because empathy in your, in your brain is based on three overlapping functions. Uh, the first function is where we tune into the um, actions of other people. We draw on the mirror neurons. You might have heard of them inside the brain or more technically sort of mirroring-like networks where we get a feeling inside ourselves of what it would be like for us to perform the action that we see the other person doing. Or if we watch the play of emotion on their face, that's a form of action, facial expressions. Or we watch their posture, their body language, or they, they move in a certain way, or they wave their arms in a certain way when they're talking. Um, and uh, we get a sense, the brain basically generates uh, an internal sense uh, of what it would be like to do that action in part by drawing on some of the neurons inside one's own brain that do the action itself. Thus, you know, the notion of mirroring. So that's one aspect of empathy. A second aspect, briefly, is uh, where we tune into the emotions of the other person by drawing upon um, the same neural substrates, the same part of the brain that tunes into our own emotions. Uh, technically, that part of the brain is called the insula. Uh, it's kind of on the inside and deep. It's a really, it's what we use to get a sense of gut feelings uh, or to, you know, feel into how uh we are deep down. Uh, it's also what we use to tune into the emotions of other people. And then the last part um, has to do with tuning into the thoughts, broadly defined, of another person, their intentions, their motivations, you know, why they're doing what they're doing, given their history and their childhood and their history of relationship with us, uh, you know, their personality type. Uh, we kind of, you know, we're tracking what's going on in that other person. Sometimes that's called theory of mind. We, we have a theory of what's happening in the mind of the other person. So all those three things work together. Actions, emotions, and thoughts. And what's useful here is that you can, you might ask yourself, what's your strong suit and what's your weak suit? You know, what are you good at and what are you not so good at? And therefore, what might be an opportunity to become more effective at tuning into your partner? Again, it doesn't mean you agree with your partner and you're not waiving your rights you're not canceling your vote, but you can tune into your partner more. And uh, you can do that in a variety of ways. One key to it is tune into your own body. Come into your own body. What would it feel like in your own body if you were um, acting in the way that your partner is acting? Or what would your emotions be yourself if you were walking a mile in your partner's shoes? You know, what might you be feeling um, based on what's been happening or what the situations um, have been. Um, in particular, what might you be wanting? Wants are very fundamental. And uh, one of the things that goes out the window and often in a you know, long-term relationship or a relationship with conflict is people stop really tracking and responding to the wants of the other person. So what would those be? And then last, what kind of thoughts you know, could they be having? You can almost run little experiments or make little hypotheses. Uh, it's, this is how it's described about what could be going in the mind, on in the mind of the other person. You know, what are their intentions? What's their top priority here? What's the imperative? For example, to generalize, but it's often true, men tend to value autonomy, women tend to value intimacy. 
uh, and um, obviously men value intimacy too, women value autonomy, but you know the, the priorities uh, often kind of differ in terms of the genders um, for a variety of reasons. So in a, let's say, heterosexual relationship, tracking the mind of the other person, you know, the thoughts of the other person, uh, one might ask oneself, whoa, what could be the imperative here, the top priority for this person? And how can I be more aware of that top priority and be more responsive to it, but without canceling my own vote, without giving up my own needs in the process? Okay, I better pause here and see what you think about all this. <laughs> it's all such great information. And it's it's interesting because it's such an old adage, like walk a mile in another person's shoes. And we all kind of hear that from the time we're little, but it's easy to just sort of hear it but not put it into practice and I think it is so important to really consciously think about this and like you said in, in mentioning these exercises really tune into your own body and say how would this make my partner feel in in practice I think in a very conscious way not just on a surface level um acknowledging, yeah, walk a mile in the other person's shoes, but really putting yourself through the steps in your head to, to make that happen. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, for me, one thing I often bump into is people say that, uh, for one, on the one hand, they say they, 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 just, they don't understand their partner or they're not very, you know, it's hard for them to tune into their partner. And a lot of what I see about that is honestly – they're not paying attention. They're not sustaining attention for at least a few minutes in a row to what's going on with their partner. They're not asking follow-up questions. They're not really looking at the face of their partner, particularly the little micro expressions around the mouth or around the eyes. They're not really listening to the partner's tone of voice. They're, they're not asking themselves. Empathy has a passive aspect to it in which we receive the other person, but it also has an active aspect to it in which we're, you know, make, forming little guesses inside our own mind, not pretending to read the person's mind or, you know, play therapist, but more like we're just, oh, maybe this is what's really bugging them. Or, oh, maybe this is what would really help it be better for them in the future. Or, oh, maybe this is what they're really asking, but they're too shy to say it, you know, in plain English or whatever the language might be. So there's an active process there. So that's one part of it, you know, that um, if people, if a person, let's say, wants to be more empathic or let's say, you know, partner A is trying to encourage or coach partner B to be more empathic or to give A the kind of empathy he or she really longs for, um, it can be useful to, to know that, you know, we're naturally empathic as human beings. The issue very often is we, is we just tend to don't, we tend to not sustain attention to each other. We get distracted. We also get addicted in our modern culture to, you know, other shiny things, you know, distractions of various kinds. And we have to kind of train ourselves to plop our attention like a spotlight and vacuum cleaner uh, right on the other person, on their words, on their face, on their body, on their tone, on their quote unquote energy, and then really um, stay with it. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, I also hear people who say, I get flooded. I'm already so empathic. You know, I get flooded when I tune into other people or I really listen to my partner and I just, whoa, I just feel overwhelmed by them. You know, they're so big, their energy just 
overwhelms me, and I can't sustain empathy to them, right? Well, that's, again, very understandable. People kind of vary. You know, some people are more wide open than others just innately, and then life happens. And people also can cultivate different, you know, qualities in themselves over time. So if you're starting to feel flooded by your partner, it can help to really come into your own body, grounding your own body, paying attention to your own breathing, the going onness of your own livingness. And that will tend to um, shore up your sense of a strong base yourself so that you can allow the intensity of your partner, say, or the other person to blow through you like a strong wind blowing, blowing through the leaves of a tree, but a tree that is deeply rooted, deeply grounded in the earth. And, you know, you might lose a few leaves in the process and your branches might be shaken, but after the storm blows by, you're still standing there. And by the way, that's especially helpful to do, tuning into the body and even, you know, feeling really centered and grounded and even imagining a kind of filter or boundary around you, like a shields up Scotty kind of thing, or, a, you know, a, like you're inside a ball or, of energy or, or glass, let's say, um, so that you're not so overwhelmed by things. And that's especially useful to do, by the way, when your partner is pointing fingers or the other person is finding fault. You know, it's easy to be empathic with people who think you're wonderful. But if they have a problem and they think it's you, right, it's harder to stay empathic with them. That's why it, under those conditions, it's particularly important to do this sort of grounding so you um, can actually stay open to the other person by being deeply rooted yourself. It's kind of a version of the old saying, fences make for good neighbors. By really establishing your own personal autonomy, that enables you to deepen your intimacy. That's all great advice. Real quick, before we move on to the lasting love round, I got to ask you, you've done a lot of work and written books on Buddhism, and I wanted to see if you could just touch real quick on two tenets of insight and equanimity and how we can apply those to improving our relationships. Well, that's interesting. So context here. The world has many wisdom traditions. Um, some of them are secular. Uh, some of them um, involve, you know, they're more religious. And, you know, Buddhism probably is kind of in the middle there. I mean, you can take it purely as a psychology uh, it's kind of a fairly profound psychology, or you can think of it more as a form of spiritual practice. Either way, I don't preach it, I don't pitch it. Um, it's in that context. I just kind of look to it, among other wisdom traditions, uh, for you know what might be practical value. So in that context, insight uh, basically means not just noticing content like particular thoughts or how particular thoughts or other aspects of our experience, like body sensations, are, are we revved up or calm, for example, or are we looking at the other person uh, with a critical, from a critical perspective or from a compassionate perspective, let's say. It's not just having insight into content, you know, what's arising in the mind and how different things relate to each other. That's more like therapy or modern Western psychology. The original deep meaning of insight is actually more radical. It's a recognition of the, or observation of the actual nature of experience as endlessly transient, 
um, uh, immaterial, it's insubstantial, you can't hold on to it, it arises due to very complex causes, it's made up of many parts, and there's nobody running the show. <laughs> In other words, there's no uh, little conductor or screenwriter who's, you know, developing the whole movie of your experience. You know, it's more like, it's like a, an orchestra without a conductor or even a, um, you know, a composer. It's just unfolding. And you start to see that very directly over time uh, in terms of the nature of experience. And that's useful because as you recognize more and more the flowingness uh, and uh, inexperience, it helps you get less attached to it. You know, you definitely try to enjoy what's, you know, pleasant and you try to, you know, deal with what's not so pleasant and you try to uh, appropriately generate experiences for yourself or for other people that feel good and have a wholesome or beneficial quality. Okay. But as soon as you get attached to any form of experience, as soon as you get hooked on any particular uh, thought or feeling or sensation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, boom, you're in big trouble. You create suffering for yourself and other people. So that's, and then see for yourself if that rings true. So that's, that's the insight part. And then equanimity um, basically means balance. It means essentially an inner shock absorber that lets you walk evenly over uneven ground. And life is full of ups and downs, right? You know, things you like, things you don't like. Um, and eventually we all face difficulty, uh, separation from those we love, uh, people pass away. Um, you know, our favorite team, like the Golden State Warriors in basketball in America, loses in the last game of the playoffs last season. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How to tolerate that? I'm a total fan. And so, you know, things happen, right? Uh your partner, uh, your partner, let's say, is preoccupied. Um, you know, maybe your partner's really involved with your child and has less bandwidth for you. Or, uh, you know, you want something from your partner and it's not top of your list right now, you know, and it's kind of you'd rather do something different at this moment. You know, what do you do then? And what equanimity does is it helps you become um, actually increasingly free inside yourself so that even though events are occurring and you, your own reactions to them are arising in the core of your being, kind of deep in your own inner heart, in your own inner sanctuary or temple, if you will, inside yourself, you're not invaded by those things. You see them, you understand them, but in your core, you've made, you're maintaining a fundamental space of contentment and inner peace. And that's really useful because it helps you ride, you know, the waves of life. Uh, you know, it helps you maintain stable well-being in your core in a topsy-turvy world. Um, and it gives you a kind of sense of um, space, if you will, between your innermost being and the slings and arrows uh, of life and, and events and things happening. And, you know, we're all able to have equanimity and you can grow it over time. One of the nice things, maybe to finish my point here, about uh, this stuff is that we learn from our experiences. We grow and change by that. One of the great services of your own podcast, for example, is you help people learn and grow from their experiences, uh, including the experiences they have as they listen to you and your guests. And uh, the brain changes as we learn and grow. And there's a lot of evidence for this. So, for example, as people develop empathy or develop um, 
more restraint of use of technology and wisdom about it, or they develop more insight into the flow and nature of experience, or they develop more equanimity. Research shows that their brain is actually changing as a result, which can give you confidence that as you do your practices, whatever they are, you know, look for those little opportunities to to um, have some kind of beneficial experience, and then like equanimity or or insight or feeling connected to a partner. You have the experience, and then you help it sink in. And in the process of it sinking in, it gets encoded in your own nervous system and kind of hardwired into it. So that over time, you move from the state, let's say, of empathy to developing more of a trait of empathy. You actually change. You grow. You learn. You develop for the better. And that's a good thing, right? Otherwise, we're wasting those opportunities for learning on our own brain. We're not actually changing for the better along the way. And so I guess that finishing makes me really hopeful and happy. You know, there's a lot of proof in science that if you stick with it, if you look for those beneficial experiences, usually because they're already having ha- happening or you create them, if you look for those opportunities for, you know, the good, if you will, the genuine, authentic good, or experiencing something useful like determination or resilience or, or patience or love for your child, look for those opportunities to have that good experience. And then when they come, bring a big spoon. Right, gobble them up, take them into yourself, help them sink in, and as you do that, you literally will be hardwiring the good. You'll be weaving the good into the fabric of your own nervous system, and therefore your life. I love that, and I love those tips. And listen to Rick, listen to this podcast, and change your brain. All great information. Now it's time to move forward to the lasting love round. What is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? Wow. Well, I'm going to stick my neck out and offer two. And they come from a long marriage and a lot of experience as a couples counselor. And I think, honestly, to be a little, um, you know, ambitious here, if people actually did this, we could cut the divorce rate in half. All right. So ready? Give it to us. Yeah. The first thing is... And I'm talking here about romantic couples, you know, people married or, you know, just in a deep, long-term relationship, a committed relationship. The first is three questions a day. Not questions like, what's for dinner? Or did you get my shirts? Or why did you do that stupid thing? No. Questions like, you know, how are you feeling? Uh, Can you tell me more? Uh, What did you really want? Uh, What else was there? Um... You know, just what's it like to be you or, you know, versions of that. Just asking questions, sustaining interest for a few minutes in a row, at least once a day. Sounds stupid, right? But trust me, in a lot of couples, that's a stretch to do that. They're not doing that in any kind of consistent way. So that would be my first suggestion. You know, uh, in a long-term romantic relationship, make sure that you're spending at least a few minutes a day, ideally more, like 20 or 30 minutes a day, in real conversation with each other in which each person is really inquiring into and interested in and receiving the other person. All right? That's the first one. And the second suggestion, I'm going to stick my neck out, make love at least once a week. 
you know, sometimes there are reasons not to. And I want to say that uh, always on the basis of, you know, safety and communication and good teamwork, right? But And sometimes there are, you know, reasons not to. People are busy, they're sick, you know, health issues. Uh, it's just not the time. Okay. But on the whole, one of the things I see long term is that an erotic dimension in relationships often will fall away. And as it falls away, that uh, weakens the bonds between people and creates risks um, and exposes the relationship to risks, you know, down the road. So um, always, of course, in a framework of, you know, what's authentic, you know, what can people really do, uh, you know, once a week or so, maybe more, maybe less, depending on the couple. But, you know, keep that dimension of your life alive. I love those two recommendations. Is there a book or resource you can recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationships? Uh, I would go to my website, rickhanson.net, rickhanson.net. And uh, my website's chock full of freely offered resources, many of which have to do with relationships. And if you noodle around the website, and it's got a great search function, you'll find lots of tools that are super practical for couples. Um, I have videos there, you know, short blog posts uh, that are quick and, you know, useful um, under the heading of just one thing. Um, it's interesting. The one I just sent out was called Beware Anger. Um, you know, one that'll come real soon is called love thy neighbor, love your neighbor rather. So, uh, these are not in a religious context. I'm just drawing on, um, you know, terms that are, have a, you know, a power to them, a potency to them. But yeah. Rick Hansen, son.net. That's where I, th- I think people should go to find good resources. Great. Well, we'll add your website on your show notes page on our website at idopodcast.com. That's great. Thanks, Sarah. We've been married for almost two years now. Is there any advice you would give newlyweds? First advice I would give, it's going to sound stupid, but it's so true. Don't be a jerk. You know, just literally, uh, if you think about it, one of the main things that that goes wrong in relationships is people uh, don't give their partner what their partner wants and needs. And they tend to, you know, do stuff that's kind of jerky, like not keep their agreements with their partner. So um, I find that, or to put it more positively, keep asking yours, keep delivering the goods. You know, now I want to be clear. I don't mean doing anything that's inauthentic, abhorrent, immoral, you know, improper. But if you really think about it, if you practice what I call unilateral virtue, if you say, okay, um, I'm going to live by the 80-20 rule, you know, I'm going to put 20% of my attention on how my partner could be a better partner, and I'm, I'm going to speak up, I'm going to say what I need and all that. Okay, great. But otherwise, 80% of my focus is I'm going to focus on being impeccable myself. I'm going to focus on really taking maximum personal reasonable responsibility, maximum reasonable personal responsibility for the wants and needs and grievances and complaints of my partner. And I'm going to zero them out one by one. I'm going to relentlessly focus on, you know, whatever's reasonable that I can do to address my partner's uh, wishes and issues. And I'm going to deliver it. I'm going to take it really seriously. You know, if a person does that, it, it feels better to do it, to practice unilateral virtue in that way. It's unconditional. It's not based on what your partner does. Over the long term, yes, over time, you might need to shrink the relationship, unfortunately. But short term, for at least a few weeks in a row, just deliver the goods. And it'll feel good. Um, it'll put you on 
the moral high ground, so you're in a better position to ask for what you need, and it will tend to pull out the best in your own partner. And um, finishing here, you know, for me, that was a big breakthrough in my own relationship when I realized that um, I was shifting into kind of a complaint stance about, you know, my wife. And um, it wasn't, you know, I thought my complaints were valid. I still do. But getting hooked on them and righteous about them and real resentful around them wasn't going anywhere. And for what I started focusing instead on for a while was uh, being the best partner I could be, which then made me much more likely down the road to get my complaints actually addressed. So that would be my suggestion. Practice unilateral virtue and um, keep cherishing your partner. Keep realizing that your part, life's hard for your partner. Uh, life's hard for everybody in different ways. And your partner's vulnerable, sweet, you know, puts up with you, has so many good qualities, Keep seeing the best in your partner. Keep seeing the being behind her eyes, the being behind his eyes, you know, and uh, that's your best on strategy for a long and happy relationship. Love that. Last question. What advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? Well, be careful what you ask for. I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Uh, I have a theory. I have a theory that successful dating and mating boils down to three things. And first is intention. Get clear on your honest, genuine intention. Frankly, I've known a lot of people who say they want to be in a relationship, but deep down they're conflicted about it. And the center of gravity of their intentional factors uh, really isn't all in, in terms of truly being in that relationship. So clarify your intention. Uh, and put your intention out to the universe. Uh, you know, med- meditate on your intention. Visualize that you're getting your intention fulfilled. Give your intention your whole heart. That's the first thing. Second uh, factor is psychology, broadly defined. You know, that's what most relationship books are about, psychology of various kinds. You know, how to communicate, gender differences, different styles, um, tuning into the needs of another person, you know, dealing with different personality types, how to make up after a fight, you know, how to make love well, blah, 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 you know, psychology. But then never forget marketing, marketing, you know. If you're yourself, you know, out on the tail of the curve, you know, and you want to if you want a good person yourself, uh, that means uh, there are a lot of people who are just not qualified to be your partner. So um, there's a place for getting realistic, not again, doing anything that feels abhorrent or wrong or crazy or embarrassing or stupid or dumb, but realize, hey, you know, the name of the game, I need to work through a lot of prospects to get down to a qualified buyer, as it were, to get to people that, yeah, I would want to go on a second date with, let alone make love with, let alone move in with, let alone marry, right? And so you got to work through people. And so to me, there's a dimension, frankly, of marketing and just face it, you know, realize that other people are engaging marketing as well. They're evaluating you. You're evaluating them. That's just the way it is. And to appreciate the fact that, uh, um, it's important to have a lot of deal flow. I know I'm putting in a really crass way here, but just to have a lot of potential people. Uh, put yourself in target-rich environments. Uh, put yourself, you know, use online services if that's helpful to you. 
uh, and you know, be real about the process of moving through lots of different people, potentially, um, to find the one who's really right for you. All that said, under the heading of marketing, honestly, if you've given another person a reasonable amount of time, you know, you've gone out and you've had coffee with them or maybe, you you know, you've gone out actually on a date. If they don't think you're great by the end of that reasonable time, if they don't think you're fantastic and they, you know, they want to pursue you and they want to take it to the next step, eh, they're disqualified. They're not qualified. You know, if they don't think you're awesome, eh, DQ, disqualified uh, after a reasonable period of time rather than just agonizing over date after date after date to try to, you know, sell that person on yourself. Forget about it. If they can't see that you're great, that you're a catch, that you're a quality person, they can't see your good qualities, you know, even beyond behind the surface. Um, they're not a qualified partner for you. And it's, you know, it's usually best to move on to somebody else. Okay. I hope I didn't, uh, Raise any hackles there. No, I love it. I was going to say, I think Chase was pretty great, so I decided to keep him around too. <laughs> That's right. And you can feel it. Don't you want to feel that yourself? You want to, we all, yeah, we want to feel that they, they think we're great. And, you know, what I've generally seen, if they don't see that you're great pretty fast, they likely never will, right? right? And um, it's also cool to communicate to the other person to stick your neck out. Like, wow, I think you're far out. I'm not ready to marry you. You know, that was my famous line with my wife, you know, when she asked me, uh, you know, um, we had, we were briefly together, stayed friends, and but just that, and then really got together several years later, bang, ended up married a year, late, year after that. You know, she asked me when we started getting together again, where are you at, Rick, right? You know, the classic line, she's nervous, where are you at? And I said, well, I'm not yet ready to propose marriage, but I'm really happy about what's happening here, you know? And that's good. She felt that I was in, and we all want to feel that way. Well, that is just some awesome advice. You've been a wealth of information today. So thank you so much for coming on. So let's wrap up by having you tell our listeners where they can find you, and then we'll say goodbye. Oh, thank you. It's been really a pleasure from the heart. Um, so again, my website, I think, is the easiest, most efficient way to do it, Rick Hansen, son.net. One of the neat things you'll find there is that I do um, an online program that anyone around the world can do. Um, you know, it's quite inexpensive, and uh, if people uh, have any kind of financial issue, we offer lots and lots of scholarships. And it's a very efficient way. It's called the Foundations of Well-Being to use practical brain science to grow the good inside yourself for lasting happiness, lasting well-being, and lasting love. And you can find out more about that program and other things I offer on my website, rickhansonson.net. Awesome. Well, we'll have that website and all the links from today's show on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab, and you'll be in the archives. And again, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Jason, Sarah, thank you very much. Hi, Sarah here. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon, Amazon, or audible.com. All the links are on the bottom of our show notes page on idopodcast.com and in the description for this episode. Also, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes. We appreciate it so much. Thanks.
Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.